Elizabeth Elliot once had the opportunity to go up into the top of the St. Louis Arch. Though not an architect, Elliot was fascinated to learn about the construction of the arch. Uh, you can see a picture of it on the screen here as it's in process. And she began to think about the, the freedom, the freedom that the architect had as he designed and built the arch. And yet, his freedom was limited. The architect did not have the freedom to uh, disregard the plumb line or the level. The mathematical calculations that had to go into building of that type, the first of its kind, the, 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 what was necessary was staggering. In fact, the workers put up these tremendous stainless steel triangles one by one on two sides, and they had to bring them up to meet at the center with no other support than themselves. A mistake of just one inch, one inch at the bottom would have spelled disaster at the top. The arch illustrates the theme of today's sermon, which is this, the freedom of obedience. You see, there's no freedom in the Christian life apart from obedience. Now, you may be thinking, Troy, that statement doesn't make sense. If you must obey something, how free are you? Well, consider what Dorothy Sayer calls the law of the fire. The law of the fire says this, if you put your hand in the fire, you'll get burned. Now imagine that all the legislatures of all the nations of the entire world gathered in one great assembly. And as they had their meeting, they voted unanimously that from here on out, here on out, fire would no longer burn. Well, there's such rejoicing. The first man or first woman who left the assembly and they put their hand, his or her hand, in the fire, guess what they would discover? That built into the nature of the fire is the penalty for abusing it. And Dorothy Sayer says the moral law of God is like the law of fire. You never break God's laws. You just break yourself on God's law. God can't reduce the penalty because the penalty for breaking the law is bound up in the law itself. In other words, obedience to God protects us from the damage of the natural consequences that are built into the law if they're obeyed. Here's another way to explain it. Following the commandments of God can be better understood in our age by thinking of them as God's operating instructions for human beings. So when the scripture says, fear the Lord your God and keep all his statutes and commandments that you may enjoy long life, obedience to God is not an oppression of our freedom, but the way to make things work right in our lives. You see, disobeying God's God always, always gums up the works. Telling someone, don't put water in your gas tank. It's not oppressing them. It is helping them. This is how we are to think of obedience. Obedience to the teachings of God are the terms of true freedom. Church, Easter is four weeks, just four weeks away, April 4th. And as the day, uh, as the day we remember and celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection gets closer, this is a great time to reflect on our obedience to God.
You see, each of us can recall the moments uh, since last Easter when we ignored the law of the fire and we had disobeyed the teachings of God and we were burned. We were burned by our disobedience. Maybe we experienced the burn of the guilt, the guilt we still struggle with. Maybe the burn of the damage that was experienced in relationships because we've disobeyed the command to forgive. We disobeyed the command to honor and love the other person. Maybe we experienced the burn of struggling with faith, struggling with faith because sin is more attractive to us than the Savior. Our disobedience. It can make us feel like the Israelites stuck in slavery in Egypt. You see, when we catch up to Israel in Exodus chapter 20, they have just walked out of Egypt. Unexpectedly, Israel experienced God's presence and God's force among them as God took action to rescue them. It wasn't on anyone's calendar. Nobody knew it was going to happen. Well, after being Pharaoh's slave labor for 430 years, making bricks and and constructing buildings that made up Egypt's empire, just look at Exodus chapter 12, 40 to 41. One day, God sends Moses to Pharaoh with one command, let my people go. Well, Pharaoh resisted God's command, and the text says that he hardened his heart towards God. And this made life more difficult for all of Egypt because of the plagues that God sent to motivate Pharaoh to surrender, to motivate Pharaoh to obey. And finally, having enough of God's discipline, Pharaoh tells Israel to leave. And they walked out of Egypt a free people. God showed Israel that he was so powerful that not even Pharaoh could stop the power of God for liberation. But here's what we often miss. Six times in the story, God commanded Pharaoh to let my people go. Six times. And after each command for Pharaoh to free Israel, God gave the reason why. He says this, that they may serve me. Six times that reason is given. You see, the exodus was not an offer of freedom for Israel to do whatever they wanted. Israel was freed from Egypt to become slaves to God. You see, in exodus, freedom is the opportunity to embrace a new bondage. Freedom is the opportunity to embrace a new enslavement to God. And we hear this in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 42, where it says this, Because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt. They're my servants because I rescued them. I set them free. And why did Israel's freedom require that they serve God? Well, God actually tells us. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, it says this. Now, if you obey me fully and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be, catch this, my treasured possession. You see, since God chose to rescue Israel and not any other nation at that time, Israel had a new identity as God's people. Now, with this new identity came a new mission. Look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. It says this, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Every Israelite, was to live as one of God's priests. 
living in complete service to God through the unique access that they had to God through prayer and through worship. That's powerful. And this new identity, this new identity and mission is what would make Israel a holy nation. It would make Israel different from the pagan nations all around them. And different Israel will be. To make sure Israel understands what this difference should look like, Israel heads to Mount Sinai. And it's at Mount Sinai that God spells out the terms, the terms of this new relationship between God the Savior and Israelite, the Israelites as the slaves of God. And it was an awesome meeting. Let me tell you, in the real sense of the word, it was awesome. You see, as God approached his people, God's appearance before Israel created terror. There was splendor. There was danger with God's presence. Exodus 19, 16 to 25. Now, initially, God spoke all of the commandments directly to the Israelites because, because God had not written them down yet. They weren't on tablets of stone. Moses was sent to prepare Israel to hear the voice of the Lord. And Israel would hear God's voice over a commotion of other sounds. You see, the sky at that moment was full of thunder. It was full of lightning. And the mountain was smoking like a volcano. And the ground rumbled. And the mountain shook with such intensity, it seemed like the mountain would split apart. But to make sure that everyone knew this was not a natural disaster, there was not a tornado coming, that this was truly God they were experiencing, God approaches his people, and as he does, there is the sound of a trumpet blasting away over all the other noise. This could only be God. Then above all this sound, God speaks and he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God gave his commandments at that point. You shall, you shall not. You see, Israel would never be able to forget God's speech, even if they tried. When it was all over, Israel experienced more of God than what they wanted. God was too loud. God was too clear. And they wanted the volume of heaven turned down in their ears. And Israel turned to Moses and they cried out with one voice, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Exodus 20, 19. You see, Mount Sinai was about more than a proclamation of freedom. It was the, about the beginning of an ongoing life with God through a covenant. This relationship of covenant promises it came through the law God gave that determined how the relationship with God would work. God would now be their king, and he would govern the lives of Israel, his people. And that's what the Ten Commandments are all about. They are God's guidelines on how this relationship with God as king and Israel as his servants, how it should work. Now, life with God would be different than the life Israel experienced as slaves in Egypt. Now, you may be thinking, Troy, thanks for the history lesson, but what does this have to do with my Christian life? Well, here's why this story is so important to the church. It helps the church understand the relationship that we now have with God. 
You see, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He commanded sin, He commanded the flesh, He commanded the world and Satan to let His people go. And as disciples of Jesus, we are a freed people. But God did not free us in Christ to do whatever we want. We were set free for, from slavery to sin. Uh, sin, our Egypt. We were set free so we could be slaves to Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, 20 to 22. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Catch this, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become, here it is, slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. But where did Paul get such ideas about the Christian life? You know the answer. Paul's idea came right out of the book of Exodus. Christian. Christian, like Israel, Christ set us free from slavery to sin to be free to be enslaved to Christ. Our freedom is not for ourselves. Our freedom is to serve Jesus. Now, earlier you heard uh, the team read the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, 1 to 17. And then there was a time where the people, as the people, the church, you responded with the teachings of Jesus in the gospel. Jesus did not come to destroy the Ten Commandments. He came to show how to live them out. You see, the Ten Commandments are not rules to be lived. The Ten Commandments are a way of life. A way of life that shows we belong to Jesus, our liberator, our rescuer, our savior. You see, the Ten Commandments give emphasis to two relationships that we are to make a priority. Two, God, here's what's interesting. God wrote the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. The commands on the first stone explained Israel's relationship with God. If you look at Exodus chapter 20, 1 through 8, they explain how the relationship with God is to work. In fact, I encourage you to read Exodus 20, 1 to 8. As God's people, others will manipulate and tempt us to believe uh, 
to believe they can do what only God can do for us. Or they'll tempt us to believe that we can tame God so God will fulfill our purposes and our priorities. But the first five commandments show us how we can avoid making idols like this or how to identify the idols we have in our lives so we can destroy them. Well, why is that important in the first five commandments? Because the first five commandments prioritize our need to be useful to God. To be useful to God, not for God to be useful to us. Or we could say it this way. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Well, there was the commands on the second stone. And on the second stone, it explains how God's people are to relate to each other. Neighbor to neighbor. Uh, read Exodus chapter 29 to 17. You'll notice the emphasis of each of these commands is honor. Honoring either a person or honoring their property. You see, we're to care for each other. Commandments 5 through 10 exp- explain the caring neighborliness we are to live out so we will not degenerate into a society of abuse. So we will not degenerate into a society of disrespect, oppression, and brutality. You see, even if the world around us spins into chaos, God's people are to live a, with, uh, by a caring neighborliness. Why? Because among God's people, everyone is worthy of honor. God's people should never treat other humans. They should never treat other people's property the way the Egyptians treated Israel as slaves. You see, since God was compassionate and full of grace towards us while we were at our lowest point as slaves of Egypt, as sinners, we are to love our neighbor with that same God-like grace. God's law shows God's people how to love God and how to love our neighbors. What freedom, what freedom gives greater delight than loving God and our neighbors well? Listen to the joy the psalmist found in obeying God's teachings. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 to 11. As I read this, think about the teachings of Jesus. Does this psalm describe how you feel? about obeying Christ's commands. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant. Ooh, I love this picture. Giving light to the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Verse 11, By them, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. In John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, we have the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. Now remember, the temple was the place where Jews went to pray and worship God. 
But at this point in the history of the temple, instead of being a place of worship, it became a marketplace for the religious leaders. It was a place for the religious leaders to make a quick profit, make a profit off of God's people, especially the poor. And this dishonored both God and neighbor. Well, by dishonoring God and neighbor, what are they breaking? The Ten Commandments. So we will see Jesus enter the temple and throw tables around. He will chase the livestock out of the temple. And Jesus' actions reveal a clash of values. The religious leaders are keeping people away from God. And Jesus desires to see people drawn closer to God. So listen to the text, John chapter 2, 13 to 22. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here! Stop turning my father's house into a market! And his disciples... His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Oh, and then the Jews. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. In driving out the money changers, Jesus, the true temple, purifies the old temple. And in the same way, Christ purifies us. Christ purifies the church. So what impurities is Jesus trying to clear out of our hearts so we can love God and neighbor as obedient servants of God? Answer that question and confess those to God today.